Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate you, sir. All right. How are we doing, church? Great. Ready to dig into God's word? Yes? No? Maybe so? All right. Somebody said, ready to take a nap? That's just me. Nobody else? Well, I want to know as we uh, end this book of Habakkuk, this small Old Testament minor prophet that um, very few people know about as we end this, I want to know how many of us ever have some worries. You ever have some worries? Right? All of us, right? No matter your age, your stage, wherever you are, we tend to have some things that worry us, some things that trouble us, right? I mean, little kids and, and babies worry uh, about, when is somebody going to feed me next? Because I'm just not so sure they're going to come back again with the bottle, you know? And, um, and, and little kids, you know, my, my kids do something interesting and, um, you because know, you train kids, you don't realize how much you train kids and, and all kinds of things. But my, my kids, they just come up to me and they just say, dad, I'm hungry. Right. They don't ask for food. They're not even, they're just, they're just telling me they're hungry because they know when I say that I train dad, he, he gets me something right They don't need to ask him for food. They just announce how they're feeling and they know that I'll jump, you know, and, and, uh, and my kids are worried there's not going to be enough leftovers. You know, who's going to fight over the last fruit snacks? Who's getting the last of the lucky charms in the bottom of the cereal box, you know, and um, kids, teenagers worry about their grades, worry about how they look, worry about their hair. Their ears, their weight. All right, am I too big? Am I too small? Am I ever going to grow? Are people going to like me at school? They worry about their acne. Will, will I ever find somebody that will want to marry me? Will I, will I ever be able to get a job and be successful? And single people worried about, will they ever find somebody? Uh, will I ever get out of this dead-end job that I feel like I'm in? Um, you know, we all tend to worry about things. Parents worry about their kids. And Grandparents worry about their grandkids, and um, it goes on and on and on for every stage of life. The, the world apparently is, is worried about things, uh, according to some latest research. Uh, the, the most important thing that people are worried about in the world are 36% worried about their jobs or possible unemployment. Uh, 34% are worried about corruption across the world and financial and political scandals. 33% are worried about poverty and social inequality. 29% uh, are worried about crime and violence. Some of us are worried about health care. Amen. Some of us are worried about terrorism, education, taxes, moral decline, immigration, inflation, the rise of extremism, maintaining social and welfare programs, climate change, childhood obesity, access to credit. It can go on and on and on, right? I mean, it, and no matter what. There are some worries. And Habakkuk was a man who had some worries, right? If you've been tracking with us these past several weeks, he started with some questions, right? He was he was started with wondering, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this going on in my nation? And he was seeing his own nation, the nation uh, of Judah, um, in decline. He saw the wickedness that was going on in his own neighborhood, in his own city, with the leaders, with the with his own neighbors and the things that were going on. And he began to ask God. and and this book, Habakkuk, is such a beautiful, it's almost like his personal journal. And I want you to know, and I'm encouraged, this is a man of God, and he asked these questions. God, why? Why, God? And I don't know about you, but you may have asked those questions before. I know that I have. Then he says, God, how long is this going to go on? 
Are you going to do something, God? Are you going to move and change the situation that I'm in? And so he's asking these things. And then chapter 2, he's in this period of waiting, right? Just waiting. God, when are you going? And, and he gets up in this high place. He gets up in, in his watchtower, and he waits for God's answer. And God gives him a vision, and God points him ultimately to Christ and how Christ would come. But do you know what? As I said a few weeks ago, real life is not like a sitcom, right? A sitcom in 30 minutes with commercials, there's a problem, and everything is distraught, and they're, oh, my gosh, how is this going to get solved? And, and in 30 minutes, they got it all figured out and tied up with the neat bow, right? That never happens in my life. It takes 30 minutes to uncover the problem, right? You know, and, uh, and it takes three weeks to try to figure out who's really uh, at fault for this problem. And, and, and some things just take years. We're in the season of waiting. God, what, what is going on? And then finally, here's what Habakkuk does. He, he's been worried about this. He's been stressing over this. His anxiety's been all over the place. And finally, you know what he does? Man, he just surrenders. He goes from worry to worship. And I don't know if you've ever tried that before, to just lay down the worries and say, God, you know what? The situation hasn't changed. Things have not improved. But God, in this moment, I'm going to choose to praise you. I'm going to choose to worship you. And, uh, and I was doing as I was thinking about this message this week, and I was dealing with my own issues and things that were coming up this week. And, man, there were some just sweet times, right? There were some mornings where I was like, man, drama is here, and it's coming, it's just coming at me. Stuff, you know, stuff is hitting the fan. And uh, I'm just like, gosh. But then God was just like, just worship me. And I just worshiped God, and I just said, you know what, I'm surrounded. And it felt so good. It felt so free for about a few hours. And then you know what I did? I picked it right back up again, right? I picked up my worries and said, God, I got to carry this because, you know, I, this is what I got to do. And I don't know if you're going to come through me. And I start carrying it back. And I just wrestled all week. And I don't know if you wrestle, but I do. And so Habakkuk is a man, listen to me now, who went from worrying to worship. He's a guy who goes, he was perplexed, but then he just said, you know what? I'm just going to praise you. He was burdened and now he is a blessed man. He was restless and now he's resting. He was focused on his problems, but now he's decided to focus on the person. He went from complaining to being consoled. He went from sighing. You guys know what sighing means? <sighs> he went from sighing to singing. Amen. Habakkuk went from worship to worry. And so let's, let's track our way back through this text here. And let's see what worship does and how we can, can trade our worries for worship and be freed up from this stuff that just plagues us, from the anxiety, from the cares of this world. And so, number one, you can write this down. Worship looks back and sees God's faithful actions. Worship looks back. You might think, well, I thought we weren't supposed to look back. And we're not supposed to look back on our actions unless we're learning from them. We're not supposed to just continue to look back on our failures. We're supposed to look back at God's past actions and see his faithfulness. Amen. We look back. And this is what Habakkuk does. He's going to spend the bulk of this chapter looking back and seeing and remembering and preaching to himself. Reach over, touch your neighbor, say, sometimes you've got to preach to yourself. Sometimes you've got to preach to yourself. We've talked about this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the Christian writer, author, uh, has often said, you got to preach the gospel to yourself. you got to say, self, that ain't true. I know you're feeling that way, but self, that's not reality. So 
So let me know the truth, right? And this is what he does. He's going to look back on all of God's past faithfulness to remind himself to stay off the problems and look at the person of God. I might be struggling. I might be doubting. I might be worrying. I might be anxious, right? I might be frustrated, but I got to get my mind focused, right? On the person of God, not on the problems. So look, look, look what he says here. Let's just take it um, in verse one. It says a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to notice this is prayer according to Shuganoth. Do you have any idea what a Shuganoth is? Me neither. And um, neither do any Bible scholars. The word occurs just here and in one of the Psalms. And uh, perhaps it's a musical notation. Nobody really knows. And um, and so you can you can you can say like um, like uh, Taylor Swift. Maybe that means shake it off. I don't know what that means. Just shake off. Shake it off. Right. All right. Now that song will be stuck in your head. Verse two. Verse two. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. You I have heard. Notice what he's doing here. Oh, Lord. I have heard the report of who? Of you, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord. And then he says, do I fear? In other words, he's saying, man, I stand in awe of your works. I'm amazed at your works. I I just can't believe this. And then he says this. Here's his prayer, right? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. He's saying, in our day, God, repeat the work that you did in the past. God, I know that you have done some amazing things in the past. But God, today, my people, my situation needs your power today in the midst of the years. That's what that phrase means in Hebrew. Your translation may say, repeat it in our day. Repeat it in our day. God, in the midst of the years, revive it. God, revive up your work in the midst of the years. God, make your work known. God, help me focus on that. I'm looking back to see your faithfulness. Lord, I have heard the report. I've heard your fame. I've heard of your power. God, because somebody has told me that somebody has reminded me from the scriptures. And so notice what he says here, verse 3. It says, God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Let me just back up what that is. And and this is geography to the south of Judah. And and what is he talking about here? He's he's reminding himself of when God rescued the people of, of Egypt. This is a situation. This is the geographical area where they came through. So he's like, I'm going back to that. I'm going back to when you brought our people out of slavery. When our people were shackled, when our people had no chance against this mighty Pharaoh, and man, he was just oppressing them and beating them down. They, they, were, they had no way of getting out of Egypt. It was impossible for them to get out of Egypt. And he's saying, who came? What does it say? Who came? God came. I want you to know today that there is a God who pursues you, right? God is not in heaven watching your situation like, "Mm, I hope that works out. I hope that works out for you. My good friend, Pastor Nate Hogan, he's the pastor of the Journey Church, church plant that we have helped start and uh, met with him this past week. And uh, they're doing very well, by the way. Continue to pray for them. Um, as you give every week, you go to support that church and uh, they're out there in Chesapeake just doing a great work. But Pastor Nate would often say when I when I had some struggles, some issues, he would, he was he's a little bit shorter than me. And so I had yeah, so he'd have to reach up and he'd pat me on the shoulder. He'd go, good luck with that. And they just turn and walk me walk away. And I was like, thanks for the help, man. Thanks for the help. But God is not like that. The Bible says God came. God came. He pursues us in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our troubles. God came. The people of Israel were there 
in slavery. And it says God came from Tamar, the Holy One from Mount Paran. And what he's doing, he's reminding them of the journey they took out of Egypt through the desert and then into the promised land and then um, how God did that. And it says this, his splendor, his splendor covered the heavens. This is the God we serve. His splendor covers the heavens. The earth was full of his what? Of his praise. You may see that small word in your Bible there out to the side, Selah. That means, uh, again, it's kind of one of those Hebrew words where, again, we're not really sure. Um, uh, a couple of options are a little more clear on Selah. Is, it could mean, man, think about this, ponder. Like, just pause right here and think about that, that statement there. God came, the Holy One. His splendor covers the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. So just ponder on that. Or maybe it's like, amen, like, let it be so, yes. But then check out verse 4. God steps on the scene. God steps on the scene to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. And it says his brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. You're like, wow, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know Iron Man was in the Bible. I didn't know Iron Man was in the Bible. He's got rays flashing from his hands. And, and what he's talking about here is God's strength. God's strength coming out of his hands as God stepped onto the scene and showed up Pharaoh, right? It's, it's kind of like God is this brilliant light. The Bible describes God as light. The Bible says God is light, and in him there is no darkness. But God is not just any old light, right? You know there's different types of light, right? you got 20 watt, you know, 60 watt. Now you got LEDs, which give you 60 watt for only 15 watts and save your money, all that sort of stuff. But have you ever compared two different types of lights, right? You know, a big old bright one you just blind people with, and then, you know, a little one. Imagine, if you will, you know, like when you step outside to see how bright the sun is. Imagine if you hold up a candle to the sun. Please be aware. I'm not advocating you look at the sun. Okay? You should know that by now. And, um, but if you hold up a candle to the sun, how's it going to make that candle look? It's, the candle is going to be overshadowed by the, the brilliance of the sun. I mean, it's, it's by magnitude infinitely brighter. And that's what he's saying here. He says his brightness was like the light. He's comparing like a candle to the sun. God is so powerful. Notice what it says. As rays flash from his, and there he veiled his power. He veiled his powerful. God is so powerful. Man, he's got to veil it. We can't even see all of God's glory and his power. And, and he's, he's tracking them through what Moses did, right? And if you remember the stories, they came out of Egypt and he split the seas and they got into the promised land and they got met with Moses. And the Bible says Moses came away from this mountaintop experience. He was up on the mountain with God and then he would come off the mountain. And do you all know what happened? His face started glowing like he was a nuke in the Navy. Right. He'd come down and his face was glowing. And, and then the people would say, Moses, what happened to you? Why is your face all glowing? Man, that's strange because he was in God's presence. And you know what Moses had to do? He had to wear a veil. They had to cover his face. It's like, bro, you, your shine is too bright. Right. I mean, no, they always like to throw shade on what shines. Right. That's the only reason people throw shade. Right. Your shine is too bright. Cover that up. We don't like looking at you. But I'm not even talking about Moses. I'm talking about God. And God had to conceal his brilliance and his glory because if we were to stand in the very presence of God, it would consume us because of how brilliant, and how amazing, how powerful. And so God, in his mercy, veils it. We'd be destroyed. And so it says, there he veiled his power. Verse 5, stay with me. Before him went pestilence and plagues followed at his heels. Again, he's reminding them of how they were rescued out of Egypt and the plagues that took care of Pharaoh and the people that were just holding them down. 
Then it says this, verse 6, he stood and he measured the earth. He looked and he shook the nations. Our God is huge, amen? And then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. Notice what he's saying about the mountains here, right? We tend to look at mountains like, man, this mountain is strong, man. This mountain can't be moved, right? And in their eyes, the mountains are like eternal, immovable, strong, fierce objects. But Habakkuk is saying, when God comes on the scenes, the the eternal mountains are like scattered. The everlasting hills, they just, they just deflated, right? Like a balloon. They deflated. Then it says this. They're tracking through. What is he talking about here? Tracking through in verse 7 through the history of God's people. And then he's saying, I saw the tents of Cushion, which is part of uh, the lower Egypt in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. And these are some of the enemies uh, that God's people had to face. Uh, But notice, compare the eternal mountains and the everlasting hills with tents and curtains, right? If God makes the everlasting mountains scattered, and the hills sink low, what is a tent or a curtain going to do to God's power? He's saying your enemy that you're facing, the enemy that you're facing is like a curtain, man. It's just we you just tear that sucker up in God's power. Reach over, touch your neighbor, and tell him your enemy's like a curtain. Your enemy's like a curtain. Some of y'all are thinking HGTV, like what kind of curtain exactly, Pastor? Can I get a color scheme here? But the things that are up against us are often far, far weaker than we imagine, right? I don't know about you, but my kids mess with the the shower curtain. Man, it drives me nuts. And we have a shower curtain in our house that's old and plastic, and it doesn't pull all the way. And so my kids end up yanking it. And um, and you know what that does? It just rips the the little things, and it gets so frustrating. But it's so flimsy. Little kids can just rip it. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble in the presence of my God. Verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, your indignation against the sea? He's, he's reminding them of how God split the sea, the Red Sea, for them to cross over it. I mean, could you imagine what it was like to see the Red Sea split? Could you imagine standing there? And then later on when they got into the promised land, they had to cross over the Jordan. And God split that river as well, and they walked through on that. And this is what he's reminding himself of. He's preaching to himself, right? Then he says this, when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. He's just like, man, pause here and take stock of all of God's power, all the things that he's done. Then verse 10, he goes on, the mountains saw you and they writhed, the raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. And this perhaps is even going back further than um, than when they were in slavery. This may be going back to creation. The deep gave forth its voice and lifted its hands on high. Could you imagine that? You know, scientists are still trying to figure out the depths of the ocean. I saw a, a video this week. I don't know. It was on some social media. And there was this whale watching. I don't know if y'all saw it. This whale watching expedition. And this big old, they were like, you know, just watching the waters. And they had all their cameras out. And then they were looking for the whale. And out of nowhere, man, that sucker just jumped up right in front of right in front of the boat and splashed right in front of them. And everybody lost it, right? Because they were thinking, man, if that joker would have been about two feet earlier, this boat would have been sunk. 
and um, and scientists go and they try to explore the depths of the ocean. How many of you know, man, we haven't got to the deepest parts of the ocean. But God has been there. And God commands the deepest parts of the ocean. It says this, the deep gave forth its voice and lifted its hand on high. What is it saying? Man, the deepest parts of our creation surrendered to God. What does hands lifted high means? It means I give up. I surrender. I don't know about you, but but I saw Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. And when they got down to the depths there and the little glow-in-the-dark thing, you know, the little bobblehead thing, and, um, and that thing was scary. There's some scary-looking creatures down there. Doesn't scare God, though, right? Because I just keep swimming. Verse 11. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. This perhaps is a a reference back to Joshua when uh, during one of the battles, the sun did stand still and gave them daylight to gain the victory. Verse 12 says you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. But then look at verse 13. It says, what did God do? Notice the, the change. Notice the change of the tone. Notice the change of the verse tense here. It says, you went where? Out. Again, God is not just watching us. He is coming to us. He went out. He left heaven to come out for the salvation of his people. And it says this, for the salvation of your anointed. You know what that is a reference to there? Your anointed? In Hebrew, anointed. And it says your anointed. It, That's the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah. This is a reference, even in Habakkuk, to Jesus being our salvation. It is through the salvation of Jesus that God rescues us, the salvation of your anointed. And then then notice how he's even picturing it to what Jesus would do on the cross and how he would crush the head. It says this, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked. Who did that? Jesus did that, laying him bare from thigh to neck, right? That just means like there's no contest. Jesus has just trampled over the enemy, laid him bare from thigh to neck. And Habakkuk is saying, this is my God. This is my God. He says, you pierced him with his own arrows, the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing. The enemies were rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. What is he doing? He's preaching to himself because worship looks back to see God's faithfulness. I remember uh, my pastor, some of you know, uh, Pastor Lee, he used to say this this phrase, right? He would, he would often say, don't say, oh, God, I have problems, right? Oh, God, look at my problems. He would say, no, you flip that, right? You say, oh, problems, look at my God, right? Oh, problems, look at my God. And go back through that series of verses. Look at my God, the the beauty of a splendor, treading the earth, splitting all these things. The deep raises and lifts his hands and surrenders to him. You don't know who my God is. But we got to preach that to ourselves because most days we're not feeling like that, right? Most days we're feeling beaten up. Like, Pastor, you don't understand. My problems are whooping me every day. I can't get up and say, problems, look at my God. Pastor, I can't even get up. Right? I need God's strength just to get up. And how many of you know, sometimes when you just get up, that is saying, problems, look at my God, because I'm getting up today, and that's a victory, amen? And so worship looks back. That's point number one, and see God's past faithfulness. Number two, worship looks at the present. Worship looks at the present, point number two, and chooses to praise anyways. Chooses to praise him anyway. Worship is not just like, 
la, 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 everything's better, everything's good, I'm fine, you're fine. It's not like stick your ears, uh, stick your ears in your fingers, yeah, that too. Stick your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 no problems. That's not what worship is talking about. No, there are still problems, and they are still huge, and they are still real. And failing to acknowledge the hurt and the pain and the things we're wrestling with. By the way, can I remind you? You all remember what Habakkuk's name means? It means to embrace or wrestle. And through this whole process, he's embracing God with his questions, with his struggles, with his doubts. He's embracing God. Worship looks at the present and chooses to praise. Anyways, because the present still isn't all that good looking. Amen. Verse 16, notice what he says. Verse 16, he says, I hear, I hear. Notice how before he said, I heard about your works, right? He's reminding himself of the past. That's how he started in verse 2. God, I, I've heard of the report of you, but now he's looking right before him. But notice how he spends a small portion on this, right? 15 verses of beautiful poetry about God's power, but now just a couple verses of reality, okay? I'm not, not saying reality does this. I hear and my body, what? Trembles because God had told him the Babylonian army was still coming. The problems are still coming, Habakkuk. And he says, man, I know this is about to come, and I, I got to be prepared for this hardship. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. Like I'm just feeling rotten on the inside. I'm feeling empty. My legs do what? Tremble beneath me. Have you ever felt like this before? My body's trembling. My lips are quivering. My legs tremble beneath me. But notice what he does. This is his get up out of bed moment. Okay? And when I say, uh, you know, worship looks at the present and still chooses to praise anyway, again, I'm not always meaning. Uh, that you've got all the strength to praise. That's got to come sometimes. God's got to build that in you. Sometimes he just says this, yet I'll quietly wait for the day of trouble, right? That's, that's, an, that's an admission of honesty and victory, yet I will quietly wait. He's not like, yeah, God, forget this. The devil, you've crushed his head. He's heard all that. He's remembered all that. And he's saying, okay, this is where I am, honestly. This is where I am. I will quietly wait. Okay, this is scary. But God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you as I navigate this storm, right? I'm going to quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I'm going to wait for your plan, God. I'm going to wait for justice to come. So point number two is this. Worship looks at the present and chooses to praise God. And then thirdly and finally is this. Worship looks up to Christ and sees that he's enough. Worship looks up to Christ and sees that he's enough. Man, how many of you know that Christ is enough? You know, they often say, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I have, you don't realize that God is all you need until God is all you have. And when you realize he is all that you have, you realize how sufficient he truly is for every situation that you and I are facing, for my worries to be transformed into worship. And essentially we see Habakkuk say, you know what, forget this. I'm, I'm done with the anxiety. I'm done with the worry. God, I'm just surrendering to you in worship. Look at what he says here. Look at how beautiful this is. He says in verse 17, Though the fig tree not blossom, though the fig tree not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, 
and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Just pause there for a second. Think about that. This is not good news, right? Everything around me, these, these are the necessities for somebody living in his time, right? These are things I need, man. I, I can't go to Walmart. I can't go to the Kroger and just buy stuff. If my farm and my stalls fail, I'm done with. These are things that I really lean upon. And God is saying to, to him, man does not live by bread alone. Man has a different sustenance. And Habakkuk is coming to realize that. He says, though the big fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, no, the produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. What will I do as Habakkuk? What will I do as a believer? Look what he says. Yet, yet I will rejoice. In what? In the Lord. I'm not rejoicing in my situation. I'm not rejoicing that I have food. Everything may be taken away from me, yet I will determine to surrender and worship God. I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in my bank account. I will take joy in my family. I will take joy in my health. No, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. How many of you know that, listen, my situation doesn't reflect my joy? We have a different standard as Christians, right? My situation doesn't reflect my joy. You can write this down. My revelation reflects my joy, right? Not my situation. That doesn't determine my joy, but revelation, because I know that God is doing something else. I know that I can trust him. Revelation determines my joy. What God has revealed to me through his written word, through the scriptures, man, that is what determines my joy. And I will rejoice in God because he is enough for me. Believer, is Christ enough for you? If you lost everything else, if you lost your family, if you lost all your health, would he still be enough? Would you still be able to say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord? That's kind of a, a convicting question, right? Because most of us, when we start searching our hearts, I'm guilty of this, we'll sometimes use God, right? I talked about the pinata stick the other week, right? Some of us use faith like a pinata stick, use God like a pinata stick to get what we want. And we're trying to hit God so that we'll get the candy we want. God, I really want this. Translation, I don't want you. I just want the blessings that you can give me. And God is often purifying our hearts. He's growing us in maturity. Is God alone enough for you? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Man, I, I am surrendering. All the bad stuff has not been cleared up. My situation has not improved, but I will still worship him because he's worthy. Amen. Then notice what he says about God, because it is God, the Lord. Verse 19. Y'all with me? God, the Lord, is my what? Okay, my health is not my strength. My children are not my strength. My marriage is not my strength. But God, the Lord, is my strength. And he, he, no one else, he makes my feet like the deers, right? I'm quick. I'm strong. I can, I can get through this. He, not anybody else, makes me tread upon the high places. Like Isaiah said, I will rise up on wings like eagles heard the story about even when the eagles are soaring and kind of looking for their food, they use the, the drafts and they use their feathers to kind of just soar as they're looking for prey. But what sometimes the crows will do, they'll come and, and, and peck on the, uh, on the eagles there. But you know what the eagles do when those crows come? They just start flying higher. They just start flying higher because they can go higher than the crows come. And I just want to remind you, believer, 
when the, when the drama starts coming, when people start coming to pick at you, when the devil starts knocking at your door and starts trying to get you to take your eyes off of Christ and put them back on your problems, you just got to go higher. Amen. You just got to soar higher and say, by God's strength, I will soar. I will get through this because I'm preaching to myself that God alone is enough. And if I have him, I have everything I need. Amen. So Habakkuk surrendered his life. He surrendered his problems. He surrendered his future. He surrendered everything. And he chose to lay down his worries. And instead, he chose to worship. Whether you're a believer in this room or not, I'm asking you, have you done that? See, that's the difference really between a Christian and a non-Christian. A Christian is simply a person. It's not a perfect person. But a Christian is simply a person who has said, God, I surrender. My life, my future, everything is yours. I give it all to you. My hands are up. I've yielded and I surrender to you. It's not a perfect person. A Christian is not a person who comes to church. A Christian is not a person who reads their Bible necessarily. A Christian is not a person who prays. A Christian is not a perfect person. It's a person who has surrendered their will and just says, God, I worship you alone and I need you more than anything. Is that you today? Believer, do you need to be reminded of God's past faithfulness and to focus on the person of God instead of the problems? Do you need to lay down your worries? I know I do. Every moment. And so we're going to take this time, this time to, to respond to God. And I want to encourage you. We'll be here at the front if you need us, um, if you need to pray, if you just need to lift your hands and worship through this time. I want to encourage you to just surrender your situation to God and just say, God, and say to the devil, devil, not today, not today, Satan. I'm going to determine, even though my barns aren't full, even though the, the fig tree produces no fruit, there's no uh, grapes on the vine, yet I will rejoice in my God because I have him and he's all I need. Amen. So let's pray together and then we'll continue to respond to the Lord. Father, thank you. And Lord, here I am. And I just admit, Lord, I'm a humble sinner. And I pray that you have taken my feeble words, my feeble attempt to, to do your word and your glory justice, how amazing you are, how magnificent you are. You're the God who made the earth. Lord, we've heard the report of you. We've heard of your work, Lord, and we stand in awe. And we're asking today, Lord, that you repeat in our day. You repeat in our hard times, God, your great work. The Holy One whose splendor covers the heavens, whose earth the earth is full of your praise, God. Your brightness is like the light. God, you have to veil your glory and your power. You measure the earth, shook the nations. The eternal mountains are scattered in your presence, Lord. Our problems are scattered in your presence because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue would confess. So, Father, I pray for perhaps the folks in this room who have not had a personal relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that they would have a little conversation with you, maybe right there in their seat. And if you know that's you, you know you don't have a personal relationship with God. You, you may have heard about God from a friend, from a, a neighbor, from a grandparent. You may have heard about God, but you haven't surrendered yourself to him. Would you just say something in your heart like this? You would say, God, I need you more than anything. I realize that. Just a simple prayer. God, I need you more than anything. Say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, I admit I have sinned against you. God, I admit that I have sinned against you. And I ask you to be in charge of my life. I ask you to be in charge of my life. I believe that Jesus came and he died on the cross. Jesus came and he died on the cross to prove his love for me. 
but also believe that he rose from the grave. Also believe that he rose from the grave. And God, I'm trusting in you now. God, I'm trusting in you now. I'm no longer trusting in myself, but I surrender to you. In Jesus' name.